If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. That's where we're going to be this morning as we continue our look this year at tracing God's drama or God's story of redemption throughout the entire Bible. So this morning, if you are a guest with us, uh, this is again going to be a little bit different than what normally happens here, not so much in what we're doing right now, but how we're doing it. Normally, we take a book of the Bible and we like to read it and study it a verse at a time or a proposition at a time, understanding kind of the thrust and the flow of that thing and how it applies to our life today. Um, this year, we're actually taking the entire Bible and looking at what is the flow and the thrust of that one story the Bible tells and what difference that makes in our life. So this morning, we're in the book of Joshua, and we're going to kind of run through the whole thing. So instead of taking a series of weeks or months to look at Joshua, you get this morning. So congratulations. Um, Joshua narrates a time in the life of God's people. Uh, there was a time of a lot of progress, uh, a lot of transition, um, a lot of change. Uh, there were some significant things that are going to be new for God's people. If you remember last week, as we looked at the entire book of Deuteronomy, uh, we find ourselves at the end of Deuteronomy, the beginning of Joshua, with an entirely new generation of God's people standing on the edge of the promised land. Uh, their parents' generation had died for their unfaithfulness to God in the wilderness, and, and so they wandered for 40 years while their parents died, and now this new generation, a new people have come to the edge of the land that God's promised, and they've got a new leader to take them into this land. They've got Joshua, Moses, who had been with them and had led them since God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, was not allowed to go into the promised land either. He was going to die before God's people could get into the land. And so not only is there a new generation, they have a new leader in Joshua, and now they're going into a new place. And the oldest of this generation was alive and, and might be able to remember when they lived in Egypt and what slavery in Egypt was like and remembered that deliverance through the Red Sea. And, and the youngest of this generation, the majority of this generation, 40 and under, had only known the wilderness. And now God's people are going to an entirely new place, a, God, a place that God had promised their ancestors, their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So on the surface of the life of Israel and the story of Joshua, we're going to see a lot of things changing it's going to narrate a lot of transition and a lot of progress, but when you do a little bit of digging, or really just a little bit of careful reading, what you'll see is that underneath the surface, underneath what looks to be like so much change, there is a solid bedrock of continuity. It seems like the more you read Joshua, the more things continue to change. There's new people, new places, new leaders, new opportunities, new circumstances, new challenges. Things continue to change and be new, but the more things continue to change, the more it seems like in the book of Joshua, in the life of God's people, God is calling them back to the things that don't ever change. The more things seem to change underneath the surface, when you begin to read it, you see that God wants to highlight for his people those things that don't ever change. So just as this story begins to narrate this new season, this new time, this transition for Israel, it also narrates God's continuous care and the continuity of God's care for his people. It's a story, the book of Joshua, of the continuity of God's relationship, of God's care for Israel, a continuity that cultivates in his people a confidence to be his people and the place where he's bringing them. So this morning, we're gonna look at a few of these things that have remained the same for Israel. You know, from the time that God formed them and promised himself to them and their ancestors, to the time that God delivered them, to the time he cared for them in the wilderness, now to the place where he's bringing them in the land, there are some things that just don't change. 
And those are the things that are going to enable them to live through the transitions, live through the progresses in a way that glorifies God. So let's look this morning at the book of Joshua through the lens of what things God is calling them back to remember, or not so much remember, but to recognize, never actually change. What are those pillars? What is that bedrock of continuity that God's given his people that cultivates this confidence in them? First one we're going to look at this morning in the book of Joshua, the first thing that God has given his people in the past, that he continues to give his people in the present before they enter the land, that he continues to give his people now in the church. The first thing that does not change is the word of God. It's the word of God. And let me show you a little bit about how this carries itself through, just so you can see the continuity. If you were to flip back to Exodus chapter 17, uh, you would be at the end of a story where Joshua acted as the commander of Israel's army against the nation of the Amalekites, or Amalek, the King, King Amalek. Uh, I wish we could take time. And here's what I want to encourage you. Take some time this week, or when you get to the book of Joshua in your, in your reading guide that we're doing this year, uh, take some time to just read through the story of Joshua, who he is and what he's done. And see all the ways that God's prepared him for the role that he's brought him to. Now, that's not what we have time to do this morning, but it would be encouraging. You'll see back in Exodus that Joshua served as the commander of, of Israel's armies in these great battles. And on the tail end of this battle, this is what the Lord said to Moses in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book. Now, some of your translations will say a book. The literal translation right here is the book. And God says to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And this book that God tells Moses to begin to write and this book that we'll see Moses continue to write in and this book that continues to grow as we see the story of God's people take shape through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and even Joshua becomes the center of life and direction for God's people. This book becomes primary in the life of God's people. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, we looked at Deuteronomy last week, you'll, you'll see this book continue to grow and you'll see the emphasis that it places on Moses as being the one that's writing this book as God had commanded him and you'll see the emphasis on the role this book is to play in the life of God's people. Just listen to this, Deuteronomy 31. We'll start in verse nine. It says, so Moses wrote the entire body of instruction in the book and gave it to the priests who carried the ark of the Lord's covenant and to the elders of Israel. Then Moses gave them this command, at the end of every seventh year, the year of release during the Feast of Booths, you must read this book of instruction to all the people of Israel when they assemble before the Lord your God at the place he chooses. Call them all together, men, women, children, and foreigners living in your town, so that they may hear this book of instruction and learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully obey all the terms of these instructions. Do this so that your children who have not known these instructions will hear them. Well, learn to fear the Lord your God. Do this as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. God's people were to know the content in this book that God had given them through Moses. It becomes the center of life and direction for God's people. So you get to Joshua chapter one and listen to how Joshua chapter one begins. Listen to the centrality of this book in the life of God's people. Joshua one says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised to Moses. 
From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law, this book shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. So as the Israelites stand on the edge of the promised land, as this new generation with this new leader is about to enter into this new land that God had promised his people, God's main emphasis to them as he's ready to take them in Pay attention to this book. Don't neglect this book. Don't forget this book. And I love, we were talking about it this morning, I was thinking about it as I was reading it. And Joshua had been with Moses all of these years. I mean, Joshua was an older man. We know from his story here in Joshua that he was 85 when he took command of God's people. So if you subtract the 40 years in the wilderness, you know that when they left Egypt, he was a young man. He had been there. He had been a slave in Egypt. He had grown up there. He had seen God deliver his people. He had seen God work through Moses. He became the commander of the Lord's army as God directed Moses. You see in parts of Exodus that when Moses set up a tent where he would go to meet with God and God would meet with Moses and they would speak as a friend speaks face to face, that it was Joshua who was there with Moses when Moses was speaking to God. And that when Moses left that tent, it was Joshua who stayed there to guard that tent. You you read the stories, you find that Joshua was sent out with the spies to look at this land. And that he and Caleb were the only ones that came back, having faced the reality that there were giants in the land, there were fortified cities in the land, but faith in God to deliver them into, the hand, into that land and to deliver those people into their hands. And you see a little bit about this man, and he had been with Moses and seen how God had led his people through Moses and how God's power had worked through Moses, and here they are about to go into the land with Joshua to lead them, and God doesn't say, hey, do the best you can to remember all you saw Moses do. Hey, why don't you do the best you can to remember all the things that you heard Moses say and all the ways you heard Moses say it and do your best you can to say the same things and do the same things that Moses did. God didn't tell him just to do his best to try to be Moses. He said, for your way to be prosperous and your way to be fruitful in the land that I'm taking you, you need to study, you need to read, you need to recite, you need to treasure, and ultimately you need to surrender your heart to this word to my word, to what's in this book. Only in this way will you be fruitful. Only in this way will you be prosperous. Here's God's emphasis. Here's God's admonition to his people in the midst of this translation. This book, my word, has been with you all along. Now when you go into the place where I'm taking you, do not let my word depart from your mouth. Don't let my word depart from your mouth. You are to speak it. You are to read it. You are to study it. Don't let God's word depart from your mouth. Don't let God's word depart from your mind. Not only should you speak it, not only should you read it, that's not a rote habit, you're to meditate on it, God said. You're to roll it over in your mind and in your soul. You're to understand what it means and the implications it has for your life and what it shows you of who God is and what it shows you of who you are. 
You're to meditate on this. Don't let it escape your mind. Don't let it leave your mind. And God forbid you ever get to a place where you think you're wiser than his word. And don't ever assume that you know better than God's word. God said, don't just read it. Don't just recite it. As you meditate it, let it shape you. But most importantly, obey it. As it shapes you, as it shapes your heart, let it shape the way you live. Practice it. You need to surrender yourself to this word. And as you read the story of God's work in the life of his people in Joshua, as you, as you read through even the story of just Joshua himself here in this book, what you'll see is that Joshua was faithful to God's word. Throughout his days, Joshua was faithful to God's word. And of all the factors that brought success into Joshua's leadership and to Joshua's care for God's people, the most important thing was that he never let the book leave his heart. He never let the book leave his mind. He never assumed that he was wiser than the instructions that God had given him in his word. Let me give you a couple of examples. Over in Joshua chapter 8, at Mount Abel and Mount Gerizim, after they had defeated the king of Ai, Joshua did exactly what Moses had commanded and written down in this book of the word. I want you to see just how full and how complete Joshua's obedience was to what he had been told and what he had been given. Joshua chapter 8, verse 30. It says, at that time, this is after they, they won the victory, at that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. So already we see him being obedient to what was written in this word. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. So now he's writing this word again for the people. Verse 33, and all of Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers, their judges, they stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. And just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel, verse 34, and after he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to that which is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, the women, the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Joshua's faithfulness to do what was written in this word, to not let this word depart from his mouth, to not let this word depart from his mind, to let his life, let his leadership, let who he is and what he does be shaped by this word can be seen all the way through to the last days of his life. In Joshua chapter 23, skip to the end of the story, and you read this. Joshua 23, 1, it says, a long time afterward, after God had given them victory in the land, after he was obedient to God's command to divide the land amongst the tribes, now he's gotten old. After the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all of Israel, its elders and its heads, its judges and its officers, and he said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. It's kind of obvious. I mean, did you ever read the Bible and think how funny that is? The Bible says he's old and he's well advanced. Gets all the leaders together and says, hey, I'm old. I'm well advanced in years. It's probably obvious. Again, read it like a human. It's hilarious stuff. Listen, I'm old and I'm well advanced in years. And you have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who's fought for you. 
Behold, I've allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. Verse five, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Look at verse six. Therefore, be strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither the right hand nor the left. The emphasis in the life of God's people from the time he formed them through the time that he led them and provided for them in the wilderness to the time he brings them into the land to the time when their leader in the land is about to die and they're about to transition into a new phase. The emphasis in the life of God's people has always been the continuity of God's word. He has always given us his word. And as they move from one season of life, from one region to another, from one leader to another, from one generation to another, and all the change and and all the transition, one thing that has continued with them has been the word of God. It has and it continues to provide for God's people, even as they move into this new place, a continued source of authority. It it continues to give them a faithful sense of, of how they are to live as God's people how they are going to live to be the people that God had said that when you live according to my statutes, when you love me with your whole heart, nations will look at you and say, who has a God like this? What nation is so blessed to have a God like this who gives them such just law? When you abide by my word, don't let it leave your mind. Don't let it leave your mouth. Surrender your heart to it as you do. I will continue to work in you and through you and the nations will see my glory. The emphasis, the continued emphasis that God has had with his people from the beginning now through this new place has been the continuity of his word. And his word begins to cultivate in them the confidence to be his people in the place where he has brought them. This word performs for them in their midst in this new land with new leadership and new trials and new things, a continued sense of standard. How are they gonna judge the decisions they have to make? How are they gonna make the decisions? God has given them his word. And this Authority and this standard is so clear that even when you read it here in Joshua, you see that God expects everyone, not just Joshua, not just the priests, not just the tribal leaders, not just the judges, but everyone to understand this word that they hear read to them periodically as he commands. First pillar, bedrock of continuity in the midst of all this change we see is always the word of God. And the second pillar of continuity that God is building this new season, this new phase of his people upon. Aside from his word, is the power of God. The power of God. Look at this, Joshua chapter three. Listen to this, we'll start in verse seven. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And so as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now you're gonna see the power of God at work. God's gonna show Joshua and he's gonna show his people something very important here. So tell the priests who are carrying the Ark, when they come to the Jordan, stand still in it. Verse nine, and Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Here's how you're gonna know that the power of God is with you. Just listen to me, here's how you're gonna know. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. 
Therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people, they set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. Just picture this in your mind. Close your eyes if you have to. Just picture it. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water. Now he's going to give you a picture here. Here's a little parenthesis. It says, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest. So though the Jordan isn't a very imposing river, I mean, it's not the Mississippi. It's not that imposing. But there are seasons and times throughout the year when the water in the Jordan rises high enough to overflow the banks. He's letting you know this was one of those times. So here are the priests carrying the ark out, and as soon as they get into this river, this river that's now overflowing its banks, here's, here's what's going to happen. The waters coming down from above stood, and they rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the sea that is beside Zarephan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Verse 17, now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Did you picture that? Look at what it says in the next chapter, verse 15. The Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony. Here's what I want you to tell them now. Everybody's passed over. They're standing on dry ground in the middle of a flooded river. The entire nation just walked across this river on dry ground. Now here's what I want you to do. Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks just as it had been before. Does the story sound vaguely familiar? Little familiarity with something kind of like this? God rolled back the waters of the Jordan and stood them up in a heap just as he had rolled back the waters of the Red Sea when he delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. The same sign that he gave his people when he delivered them from bondage, and when this God delivered his people out of a 400-year slavery in the land of Egypt, he brought them to the edge of the sea, and he rolled the waters of the sea up into a heap, and he delivered his people across that sea, and as they turned, they saw him release those waters and swallow up the armies of Pharaoh. This God brought them to the mountain where he revealed himself to him and said, here is who I am. You know what? I'm going to make you my people and I'm going to be your God. And they had a confidence that this God who had just performed the miracles they saw in Egypt, the plagues and the miracles and the deliverance now into this place was going to be with them and now he's taking them to the place where he's promised. Now we're going to go to exactly the place I promised you. Let me just show you that power that some of you remember. Some of you were old enough to walk through that Red Sea. And some of you saw that. Some of you remember the cloud and the fire and the darkness on the mountain when I revealed myself to you and spoke to you. Now, all of you grew up in the wilderness, how I provided for you and cared for you. Bread from heaven, water from a rock, guidance in fire, guidance in a cloud. Lest you forget, because 
we're prone to forget things and take things for granted. When I take you into the land that I promised, just in case you're wondering if the power that was with you then is gonna stay back here with Moses, let me remind you of something. Let me just do for you what I did for them back then. And he peels the water back. Now just imagine, just imagine them in the Jordan. Imagine the priests in the Jordan. Imagine the people in the Jordan, the oldest in that community. And they would have been old enough to remember when it happened in the Red Sea. The youngest, they heard all the stories. Now imagine what it must have been like for them to walk across this sea, to walk across this river, remembering that God had done for them what they couldn't do. They couldn't get out of slavery. Then he provided for them, cared for them, led them, directed them. And if they were to ever wonder if the power of God that had done this on their behalf would ever be with them again, or if he was going to abandon them now that they were in a promised land, he said, let me just remind you something. Let me just make it as clear as I can make it for you. And he stands the waters of the Jordan upon a heap. And just imagine what that must have felt like. I mean, just as he was saying in the Exodus at the Red Sea, don't worry. Look, look I've got you. I've, I've got you. Power demonstrated in that deliverance and in that great miracle of the sea. People not knowing who he was, just, I got you. And just in case you forget, I'm prone to take my guidance and power for granted, let me just remind you. Can you imagine the awe? Can you imagine the, the wonder in God's people as they're walking across this river? Water standing up on a heap, most remembering stories of when that happened in the past, going into this land of promise that God had promised his forefathers, and God demonstrating the fact that his power that had been with them in the past is with them now. Can you, can you imagine just a little bit of confidence, that extra bit of certainty that would have been growing and cultivating in the hearts of God's people when they did this? See, when they stepped their foot on that dry ground in the Jordan, and they passed through those waters that were stacked up in a heap beside them, and they made their way across that river into that land, they were to know with absolute certainty, no fear, no matter what had been growing in them at that time, they were to know now that the power that had delivered them, the power that had guided them, the power that had shook the mountain, the power that had fed them miraculously, it was with them now. Moses, he wasn't going to make it with them. But the power of God wasn't going to stay back there in the wilderness with Moses. It was going to continue to be with God's people. Can you imagine just the confidence that must have come knowing that? As you continue to read the story, as you continue to read the, the book of Joshua, you'll see the power of God demonstrated again on the behalf of God's people, not just in the parting of waters, but in some of the most miraculous, I think, of displays and how he defeats nations and kings on their behalf. He, he defeats them on, on their behalf. It's, it's crazy. It, do you remember last, from last week, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 25? I mean, I know you just memorized it, didn't you? <clears throat> this is what God said. He said, beginning today, I will make people throughout the earth terrified because of you. When they hear reports about you, they're going to tremble with dread and fear. When they hear about you because of me and my power, they're going to be frightened of you. And as you read the story, this is what you actually see beginning to happen in the life of God's people. In Joshua chapter 2, you get the story of sending of the spies to the promised land. Again, we're going to send spies. It's a scary idea, but Joshua did it once. He was okay with it. Send spies, and they stay in the house of, of Rahab. Do you remember what Rahab said to him when she was talking to him on the rooftop? Listen to this. And before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. 
This is what she said. He said, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. Oh, they're still on the other side of the Jordan. They hadn't crossed over yet. These are just the spies that are over there. And she says, I know the Lord's given you this land. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. We know that what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed, we know what you did. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. The Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Do you know what they did to those two kings? Nothing. They went in and destroyed their land. They did nothing to the kings. When you get to Joshua chapter 24, he's reminding them of all that God has done for them before he kind of appeals to them to remember God and obey God. And he reminds them of what he did. Listen to this. Listen to the power of God at work in the life of his people. Joshua 24, 11. says, when you crossed the Jordan River and you came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. But I gave you victory over them. Listen to this, verse 12. And I sent a terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It wasn't your swords or bows that brought you that victory. You go back and read the story. God sent a terror ahead of them that scared the kings so bad they ran away. The men of Israel didn't even have to fight the kings. They went in and destroyed the land because the power of God went ahead of them. Just in case you began to get a little bit suspicious about whether that power that had delivered you once and cared for you once was gonna leave you now that you were here, power of God is still with you. Not only did the word of God remain with them to direct them and guide them, they had the power of God continuing in their midst, acting on their behalf. And here's the crazy thing. This power, the, the power of God, it's not an impersonal power. It's not power for the naked display of power. It's not power for the sake of power. It's a personal power, and most importantly, it's a present power. It's not a detached power. It's a personal power that's for God's glory and for God's people. Third thing that remains the same is the personal presence of God. Not detached. Not displaying power over here and running back to the land over here. God's people in their new place with a new leader and a new generation not only have his word, will not only be accompanied by his power, but they will have the very personal presence of God as well. Joshua chapter five. Let's see if this story helps kind of unpack it and clear it up for you. Joshua chapter five, starting in verse 13, one of my favorite sections of this entire book. It's small, but it's awesome. Joshua 5, 13. says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, so he's on the other side of Jericho now. He's close. So we're, we're, we've moved through. He's in Jericho. He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand and Joshua approached him and he asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Now, okay, what's our mantra? Read the Bible like what? A human. Joshua, commander of the Lord's people now. God has displayed his power on his behalf and part of the Jordan. He's gonna go in and he's gonna take the land. Joshua's a confident man. Remember, he was a general. He was a soldier. He led God's people in battle in the wilderness. He's a tough guy. He's on the backside of God's miracles and the backside of this initial conquest in the land. He's puffed up a little bit. He's a confident dude. His chest a little bit swole. He's not sulking in his tent. Probably got a little strut about him. And here he is on the outside of Jericho and he sees a man standing across the way from him with his sword drawn out. What's Joshua gonna do? He's gonna approach him. He's gonna approach him like a man who got a God that just parted waters. 
You for me or you for my enemy? The answer to that question are fighting words. And here's where the human, I mean, just, I, I love it. Not all the translations get it great here, but they get it right, but not great. It, listen to what the man says. Joshua comes up to him, puffed up. Man's got a sword drawn. And Joshua's got this strut about him that just, you know, he's ready to draw his sword. Are you for me or for my enemy? You know what the answer was? No. And then most of your translations will say neither, but they're just kind of helping you understand. This man that Joshua was confronted by, that Joshua was now confronting, are you for me or are you for my enemies? No. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where you've ever been in a confrontation and you felt confident at all in your abilities to handle that confrontation and that person does not respond in a way in which you're comfortable with, you're going to get a little uneasy. This man just said no. Imagine Joshua trying to decide in that moment, what am I going to do? man says, listen to what he says. No. I have now come as a commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua, he bowed with his face to the ground in worship, and he asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And a few verses later, in chapter 6, verse 2, get a little change in person here. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I've handed Jericho, its king, and it's fighting men over to you. Joshua saw this man, swelled up in confidence, ready to handle this man. This man looks at Joshua and he says something that if you don't miss the phrasing, you'll miss the power of what's going on here. This man looked at Joshua and he said, I have now come as a commander of the Lord's army. I have now come as a commander of the Lord's army. That phrasing is so important. Because in that moment when he said that, Joshua recognized something in an instant. More than that, he didn't just recognize something in that moment, he he recognized someone. He'd seen something of this man before. But now, this man is here in a specific capacity, the commander of the Lord's army, but he wasn't unfamiliar to Joshua. Again, this story should remind you of something you've heard before, God carrying a continuity through his story. If you remember the story of Moses, when Moses received his particular call of God to to go and to to lead his people out of Egypt, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Moses was confronted not just with a bush that wouldn't burn in the middle of a desert, he was confronted by someone. He was confronted by a person. The voice that he heard said, I am the great I am, and God in that moment revealed his personhood to Moses. He gave Moses his name, he told him who he was. And in response with being confronted with God himself, God says, son, you need to take your shoes off. The place where you're standing is holy ground. Joshua had heard the stories. He'd been with Moses all those years. He knew exactly how it all happened. Now here he is standing in front of this man who's now come, now come, as the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua recognizes this person now. And the man's response is, take your shoes off, son. The place where you're standing is holy ground. Before Moses died, he he said something to Joshua. He said, the Lord your God is the one who will go ahead of you. In fact, Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 31, the Lord your God is the one who will cross ahead of you, cross the Jordan ahead of you. He'll destroy the nations before you and you'll drive them out, but here's what you need to do, be strong. Be courageous. 
Don't be terrified or afraid, for it's the Lord, your God, who goes with you and before you. He won't leave you or forsake you. In that moment, when this man said, now I've come as the commander of the Lord's army, Joshua already knew in that moment now, he realized that he already knew the one who has now met him outside of Jericho. In this moment, all of those things flooding back into Joshua's mind, all the stories, all the experiences, how God had redeemed them, how God had led them, how God had guided them, how God had met with Moses in the tent, how he had been there and guarded that tent at the pretense of meeting where God would speak with Moses face to face, what that meant. Joshua had already known something of this person and he realized it in a moment. So now imagine, Joshua knew all of God's promises. He knew all of God's continued faithfulness to the promises that he had made to him. He now has firsthand certainty that the God who had been with them back then, the God who had met with Moses, the God who had confronted Moses in that bush and then spoken to him face to face, he's now with him. He's now personally present with him and God's people still. And so it makes sense then in Chapter six, verse two, we switch. The com- it doesn't say the commander of the Lord's army spoke. It says the Lord said to Joshua, because this is who it is. And Joshua realized that, and Joshua knew that. The Lord said to Joshua, you know what? I know the cities are fortified. I know that there's still the same scary people over there in the promised land. But here's what I want you to do. I'm not gonna give you the strongest military equipment. You're not gonna get all the fighting things. You're gonna get preachers and you're gonna get horns. Here's what I want you to do. You're gonna walk around that city. And walk around that city for seven days, and the seventh day you're gonna walk around that city seven times. And here's what I want you to do: when the time comes, you should blow those horns and yell, and I'll give you that city. And it makes complete sense because of the one that Joshua knew was giving him these instructions. That when you read chapter six, and the people of God do exactly what was commanded of them, that in verse 16, after they walk around that city seven times, they blow those horns. Joshua says, "Shout! For the Lord has given you." this city. Why could he have such confidence and such ridiculous instructions? Because he knew that the power and the person were still right there with them. God's word, God's power, God's very real and personal presence has continued with God's people for the sake of them continuing to engage and advance in God's mission. To bless the nations on the earth through his people. These things continued from the time that God promised them to Abraham all the way through the time that God has given his people this land in Joshua. We'll see them continue through the New Testament and down through history into our very lives today. The continuity of God's relationship and God's care and God's provision for his people hasn't changed, whether it's the wilderness, the promised land, Jerusalem, or Richmond. Listen, God's mission has never changed. You wanna hear continuity? God's mission has never changed. God had a plan for this earth from the beginning. He created royal image bearers and he placed them in a spot on this earth that he had created as a perfect place for his glory to dwell. And when he did, he gave them a mission, he gave them a job, he gave them a purpose. He said to cultivate that place, not so that it won't stay, won't grow, but to cultivate that place so that, that perfect place where my glory dwells spreads and covers the entire earth. That was the mission that God had given his people in the very beginning. 
And we know from the story that we've already looked at and read, Adam and Eve failed to do the thing they were asked to do. They failed at their task. They failed at their mission. But here's the thing. God's purposes from the beginning, God's mission for his glory to cover the ends of the earth, it's never been taken out of the Bible. It's never actually changed. God's plans for his glory to cover the ends of the earth by empowering his image bearers to do the thing that he's called them to do, never been revoked out of the Bible either. It's never actually changed. God has from the beginning ordained the means to accomplish his purposes. He will continue and will ultimately declare his supremacy by equipping his image bearers to advance his mission, to reflect his glory to the ends of the earth, that all the nations on the earth might be blessed by God's grace as they see it reflected in God's people. It's never changed which means the mission that God has had for his people from the beginning is at the heart of what it means to be God's people. It's never changed. Ephesians chapter three, the apostle Paul says, I was given mystery, I was given insight to this mystery that's existed for ages. And this is what he said. He said that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made, to the, no, might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he is realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. God has always planned from the beginning, down through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, into his people, even while they were in the wilderness, now while they're in the land to us, while we're here in Richmond, Virginia, right now in 2013, he has always planned for his people to be a living demonstration and reflection of his glory a demonstration of who he is as the one true God. His mission has never changed. It's what it means to be God's people. It's why he has us here in this place. And not only has his mission never changed, God's word remains the same today as it did back then. God's word continues to be the single central means by which God's people understand who God is, who they are, and how they live as God's people in the place where he's put them. How we live in such a way that we reflect his glory, that we reflect a satisfaction in his grace. How it is we are the people that he's called us to be in the place where he's called us to be so we fulfill and advance the mission he's called us to do. God's word is still central. We can't let it depart from our mouth. It can never depart from our minds and we can never, ever, ever presume that we're wiser than it. He still intends for his people for their hearts to surrender to his word, for his word, which tells us about his son, to remain central in our lives. His word has never left us. It didn't leave Israel when they left the wilderness and went to the promised land. It doesn't leave Israel when they get sent into exile. It doesn't get removed from Israel when Jesus comes and begins his life and ministry on earth. It doesn't get removed when the apostles preach the gospel to the nations. It doesn't get removed from us. It's still central. It's never changed. And not only has his mission not changed and his word never changed, the power of God has never left his people. You read as we get to the story, just as the Holy Spirit of God empowered Jesus in his life on this earth, that same spirit raised Jesus from the dead. It's that same spirit that hovered over the darkness of the deep in the beginning when God spoke all things that exist into existence. Remember back then when nothing obeyed him and became something? That same spirit that was hovering over the darkness, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same spirit that empowered Jesus in his life here on earth and in his ministry here on earth, 
when we place our faith in the person and work of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and God raising him from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins and the redemption of his people, when we place our faith in him, that same spirit takes up residence in your heart. That same spirit that raised him from the dead, that was working against the darkness in the beginning, continues to work against the darkness. It's always been what the spirit's done. It's always what the spirit continues to do in and through God's people. That same power that parted the Red Sea then, that stood the waters up of the Jordan, up in a heap, the same power that did that is still flowing today. It's still at work in the people of God today. That same power is what gives us hearts that find the word of God a delight, that find the word of God satisfying. It's that same power that changes hearts, that takes hearts that are stone and makes them hearts of flesh. It's that same spirit that gives us desires to long for the glory of God. That power is still at work in and now through God's people today. And most importantly, that personal presence of God, the one that they had tasted in deliverance, Moses had tasted in the wilderness, the people had tasted in the tabernacle, Joshua faced when confronted with the Lord himself right there. That same personal presence of God is still with his people today. The commander of the Lord's army, that one who confronted Joshua right there outside of Jericho, he's the same man that we know today after his incarnation and life on this earth as Jesus Christ. See, God's mission never changed. He still ordained that he would make his glory known to the ends of the earth through man. It's just because of our sin, it won't be us ultimately. He'll still accomplish that purpose, but he's gonna accomplish it in Jesus. How is God's presence most for us on this earth? How is God's power most demonstrated to us? What is the central hope that we are given in God's word as we read it now? It's the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ in our place for our sins. It's the man who came to earth, who lived the life that we were created to live. That life of perfect delight and obedience to the word of God and the law of God. Not out of duty, but out of absolute joy and dependence. It's that man who lived that life that we were created to live and then willingly died to pay the price for the life we live instead. Who died the death that we deserve because of our sins. God fulfills his purpose, ultimately through man, but it's through Jesus. He did this for us. And so that when we place our faith in him, when we trust in him for who he is and what he's done, what we see is that the victory that he achieved, the victories that he won, they become our victories. We see that he went ahead of us just as this commander went ahead of Joshua and the people of Israel and the armies of Israel and did battle on their behalf and defeated enemies on their behalf. We see that Jesus did the same thing for you and I and his victories become our victories. And Paul told the Colossians church that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the death of Jesus on the cross. In Jesus, our enemies of Satan, sin, and death have been defeated. And not just defeated, they've been triumphed over and put to open shame. And as we place our faith and trust in him, his victory becomes our victory. And the one who was with Joshua and went ahead of Joshua promised to always be with Joshua. He's with us. And he's promised to always be with us, even to the end of the age. And when Joshua saw him and realized who he was, when he was confronted not just by a man, but he realized who this man was, his response was immediate. He fell to his face in humility. And he said, my Lord, what would you say to me? 
What would you say to me, your servant? The Lord told him just how to respond. How to respond in humility out of a recognition of God's glory, out of a recognition of God's holiness. If we're gonna know the personal presence and power of this leader who was with Joshua then, who is still present among us now, we have to respond with the same kind of humility. We don't have to take our shoes off. You don't have to rush to untie your sandals, but Jesus commands every man and every woman and everyone on this earth to repent, to turn away from our trust in ourselves, to turn away from our sin, and to place our trust in him. He calls us to respond in humility. You see, the person that was at that bush that confronted Moses, the person that confronted Joshua right there outside of Jericho, the captain of the Lord's army, he's none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ, and he's still with us today. And so you hear over and over in the book of Joshua, be strong, be courageous. I've called you to be my people in my place. Be strong and be courageous. I've given you myself. I've given you my word. I've given you my power and I have given you myself and I am present among you. Now be strong and be courageous. Let me pray for us this morning. God, if it was up to us to be strong and to be courageous in this life, if it was up to us to keep your word perfectly, to earn your love, to earn your grace, to earn your favor, uh, to do enough to earn your power to work on our behalf, we would be absolutely up a creek. But we thank you this morning that you have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and you have done all of those things and fulfilled all of those things in your son Jesus. And I ask this morning that by your Holy Spirit, you would turn hearts to delight in him this morning, that you would make your face, your glory shine in the face and person and work of Jesus. I ask this, Lord, that you would be made much of, that we would find much delight and much joy in you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.